the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. <gasps> Presented by Luke's Pizzas. So don't do that for A. Thank you for the advice. Featuring Lucas Clark and Nigel Romaine. Tell me more about these lizard overlords. Now introducing your host, Tanner Retz. All right, welcome back to the program. This is episode 15 of the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. I am your de facto host with uh, Tanner on the road. This is Luke with my co-talking head, Nigel. Sup, y'all? All right, and uh, no reason to waste any time. We usually run long anyway, so we might as well get right into it. We're going to start with a little NFL roundup. Uh, I'm sure most of you watched the Monday night game and saw the uh, Aaron Rodgers era come and go in the course of four snaps. I think four offensive snaps. I think that's what for, it was, yeah. Uh, confirmed today, torn Achilles, done for the year. Uh, initial thoughts, Nige? My initial thought is that it's devastating to my fantasy football team. Uh, I have Garrett Wilson as my keeper. Um, so might have made some different choices had I known that Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to be there long term. Hey, he still had a nice <laughs> touchdown catch, though. <laughs> my second initial thought is that uh, I it just, like, once again brought me back to, uh, what was that, three years ago, Huskies facing BYU Zach Wilson, anytime, anywhere, headband on, uh, thinking he's a cool guy, and then the Huskies just trashing him the entire game and making him look like the the quarterback that he is. And, man, I have to think the Jets are in big trouble. Yeah. Because <laughs> if, if uh, I, I know it's tough, then, like, you're not game planning, and so the playbook, uh, quote, air quotes there, is uh, – is not really set up for for Wilson to succeed that that night, but he looked dismal out there and looked every. He normally bit, does exactly. He looked every bit as crappy as he did last year when he was in the role um, as starting quarterback. Did you see real quick? Is that I thought this was funny? I don't know. I didn't see anybody on Twitter point this out, uh, so maybe I'm breaking news on this. Did you notice that when he went in on the first series, he had his uh, like ninja headband? It was tied around his neck, like a, like a handkerchief, because I think he forgot to put it on his head, probably because he wasn't expected to go in the game. He had it tied around his neck, and it was still on like that when he started taking snaps on that first drive. He so he was wearing an ascot. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> he was looking fashionable out there yeah. for the Jets. Hide your moms. Um, yeah, he had a fashionable 120 yards of passing or whatever it was with, to go along with that and four quarters of work. So it's a big bummer. I mean, I think for any of you who watched Hard Knocks, you know, it's like you always get hyped up to to uh, you you watch the training camp for that team. But Aaron Rodgers hits a little bit different. You know, he's as much as I dislike the guy sometimes and we love to make fun of him. He is a really good quarterback. And so um, I think that that Jets team was going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. Well, Maybe. clearly they still beat the Bills even without him. Their defense <laughs> was that good. Yeah, well, I think uh, – Part of that was Josh Allen forcing a lot of balls and and not really making smart decisions in a game that he all he had to do was not give the ball away and he would have won the game. Yeah. But he just was just felt like he had to. Yeah. <laughs> so I I don't think that uh, I don't think that the Jets defense is going to be able to put up that kind of performance every week. And I have to think that they are in a load of trouble yeah. <laughs> from what I have seen. I do think. 
I never, uh, I never celebrate anybody getting injured, especially somebody as good as Aaron Rodgers. I do think that there's kind of some uh, irony on the cosmos level that this is a guy who spent the better part of the last two years being a COVID denier slash vaccine denier, stuff like that. He went into a dark room to figure out whether or not he was going to come back and play football. And then he blessed his talents to the Jets. And now he's going to spend the better part of the next 12 months in a dark room relying on traditional medicine to, <laughs> to get him back. Yeah. To get we his, don't know that he's going to use traditional medicine. To get medicine his 40-year-old body back into shape <laughs> yeah. to uh, play in the NFL again. So... I don't know. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a karma guy, but it seems like it seems kind of fitting that that's that's the end of a season. It lasted heard, all of four snaps. I've heard that ayahuasca retreats actually can heal Achilles injuries, so um, he's he's due to be back next week. Wow, <laughs> little yeah, breaking big, news. Big if true. <laughs> yeah, breaking news. Yeah, you kind of hinted on it. Uh, also, is that yeah? I really thought that uh, Josh Allen. Like he he led the league in turnovers last year, and uh, I'm curious if people in Bills country, if that's if you just call that another one-off type of performance. I mean, he's always been a Brett Favre type that like he can single-handedly win you a game by having an unbelievable performance, or he can single-handedly lose a game by having a truly unbelievable performance where he throws yeah. three picks and drops an easy fumble. Yeah, and yeah, loses think, to Zach Wilson. Yeah, I think. Uh... I mean, it just looked like he was he was shook in that game, especially especially once he'd thrown those couple picks. Like, that fumble just, like, I think he had tunnel vision at that point, like, wasn't seeing anything on the field. And I mean, Although, you, I say that, and, like, you got to the two-minute drill, he went right down the field, like, everything was easy. It's like, why, why didn't you just do that the entire rest of the game? Because you went – Right down the field, got whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted. Diggs was wide open. If it's not for a pretty ticky-tack PI call, you, you may have a chance that's, of winning that game that's with, what the, I was gonna with say, the touchdown. Yeah. Like, it, man, if they if they call offensive PI on that all season long on people, the, there's going to be a lot of receivers that are going to be upset because that was a very – Sauce seems like he's already getting the benefit of superstar treatment that is like, <laughs> yeah. it's like Diggs – Diggs kind of had his number that night anytime they were lined up on each other and looked like Diggs just had him again there. Like, he extends his arm, arms, but, like, yeah. I, that's I feel like how the wide receiver is supposed to play is, like, get into his body, kind of get him at arm's length, and then when you see that back shoulder coming yeah, in, break turn. off of yeah. it and turn. So, yeah, pretty ticky-tack, and I agree. If he catches that, he goes out of – or he did catch it, but yeah. that doesn't get called. He goes out of bounds. The clock stops. You're further up the field. Uh, maybe you have a chance to take a couple couple more shots at the end zone and maybe they win the game. But instead, uh, again, you'd kind of hinted at it. They made a bit of a storyline out of uh, Xavier Gibson making the team undrafted uh, free agent wide receiver, and he ends up taking the overtime punt back for a touchdown. So Hard Knocks, Hard Knocks really knows how to script it. Some might say the NFL is scripted, and uh, moments like that almost make it feel like it. But yeah. uh, I don't know how you script a punt return for a touchdown other than not calling the the whip block that uh, whoever the whoever the, uh, yeah, the TV TV referee is had the audacity to say put an asterisk next to next to the win. It's like I don't know, like yeah. that's a tough call in the moment. Yeah, I I think all the blocking and everything was fine on that, in my opinion. But yeah. 
Yeah, cue, cue, uh, cue our guy here. Uh, what a story, Mark, uh, for having having Xavier Gibson. That's his name, yeah. right? Uh, having him take take that one house. Uh, also, credit to gotta give credit to Sala. I, I as much as uh, Jets, I'm whatever on the Jets, but I, I like I like Robert Sala to get that team to to perform like you did in the second half of that game, like. All the airs out of the stadium. I'm sure all the airs out of that team. Like you've you've had so much hype going in, and to like kind of turn things around and end up winning that game somehow, miraculous. And I thought it was cool that he was the one that like he he was the one that met Gibson in the end zone. He like yeah. sprinted down there and was like the one of the first ones there to dap him up. So like you know the guys on the on the Jets see that. That's a you know. I think they got a good program going on there. It's just they don't have a quarterback, and that's why <laughs> that's why they went and got Aaron Rodgers, and now they're back at square one with that. So. Hey, I tell you what they do have, though, and that's Brees Hall. And uh, we'll, yeah, get, I, we'll get into more Seahawks talk late, uh, <laughs> later in here, but uh, you know what? they probably could have stood to give him the ball more. He's coming off a pretty substantial injury, <laughs> yeah. so I'm sure they had a, a touch limit on him in the game, but – Man, that guy was electric, and yeah. that's why you run the balls. Yeah, that's like, a big reason why they were even in that game is because Brees Hall. He looked like he was an doing yard, an eighty-yard yeah. touch, a thirty-something, thirty-seven-yard yeah. touch. He looked liable to go house almost yeah. every run he got. So. Yeah, he. That's one. Uh, I was watching the game with Maddie last night, and um, I have to admit, it, it, this was one of those that if we had the podcast a year ago, we were talking about it. I would have said Brees Hall's a bum when it was coming into draft time. Like that guy's not going to be that good. Uh, I'll eat crow on that one. The guy, the guy's been a stud since he got in the league, and even though he's torn the ACL, it looks like he's he hasn't really missed. He looks slow. Yeah, exactly. He didn't look slow. So uh, yeah, props to him for for having a hell of a comeback game. That's that's pretty cool too. All right, ba- uh, bouncing around the league. Uh, other big. Oh, actually, one more thing I wanted to touch on with that. Uh, it, I don't know if you heard this. That that uh, safety that got all three of those picks. Yeah. Uh, did you hear oh, that I he did. got he got his uh, his season bonus for picks two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's a great uh, way to check. start the year. Yeah, good way to start the year. Three two hundred fifty k quarter million in the pocket just just in the first game from your interception workload. So uh, he should maybe take uh, take Josh Allen out to dinner for that one for feeding him a couple. <laughs> so I'm moving around the league. Uh, probably the second most surprising <laughs> thing I guess to happen this weekend, other than uh, Aaron Rodgers getting hurt, was. Joe Burrow tallying up 82 yards of passing, passing yardage after just signing his career contract. Not good. <laughs> Not good. Not good at all. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a, a bit of a baffling one. I mean, we didn't watch that game all the way through, but it was on on we were watching Red Zone on on Sunday, and <laughs> there weren't weren't many highlights for that game, so hard to hard to really come in to see much of it. But yeah, it's kind of a nasty day. Also, Burrow's been hurt and hasn't really practiced much. So I, I'm going to give Burrow the benefit of the doubt on this one, that he's going to bounce back and be fine. He's shown for the last couple of years that when he's when he's in and healthy and playing well, he's a good quarterback. So I, I'm not too concerned. It, and plus there's just too much talent on that on that receiving core for that to, to last long term. I know he's way better than – than uh, Zach Wilson. So yeah. <laughs> Zach Wilson was able to muster up a hundred something yards. I think with, uh, with Burrow's abilities, he's going to be just, just fine. He just needs to, 
you know, get some reps in there and, and maybe not have a crappy day. Also, that, that or, uh, Browns defense is, is good. They got good D linemen. They got Miles Garrett that was causing havoc all day, it looked like. So, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt that that's a that's gonna be in the minority of his play for the year. Yeah, no doubt. I think uh, I think if I'm a betting man, I'll still bet on Joe Burrow being a MVP finalist this year. Yeah, injuries in camp coming out slow, and uh, we'll we'll transition to Seahawks talk here shortly. But I think this is kind of the overarching theme. There is a there's a handful of head scratching performances or letdowns, but it's like you really can't take a lot out of week one. Yeah. It's like, especially not especially that, nowadays. No, exactly. Not that preseason was ever some sort of dialed thing when they had four games, but I feel like now more than ever, it's like week one is basically week zero. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's your first preseason game. And if you can get out with a win, I mean, you can say that about any week. If you can get out with a win, it doesn't really matter how you get there. Yeah. But a lot of these teams, it feels like they're really kind of just, Let's just get to the season, play the first game, and then we will adjust and get everything going. Ideally, we come out with a win. But if not, like, whatever, there's 17 games. I mean, you yeah. know, it used to be 16. Now there's 17. So it's like, yeah, yeah and first game sometimes can be frustrating for fans, but sometimes it's a little bit of a throwaway game. Yeah, I think there's just, especially with the quarterbacks, and really, I guess, any position, it's just like so much money invested in these guys. It's like, why why waste it in a game that doesn't matter unless they're a rookie that needs reps like if you just spent 200 and whatever million dollars on Joe Burrow so I'm, and he's and he's nursing a calf injury it doesn't make sense to get him out there playing and practicing extra it's like he's got he's got a gauntlet of 17 weeks he's got to get through week 1 isn't going to be the worst you know worst case scenario if you lose cuz you just have too much talent on that team yeah and honestly like the Bengals they look like shit like you said Poor conditions. Browns, you know, they ran the ball. They it's, played good defense. It's the, it's the mud game. Okay? But, it's a, they're not mudders. But uh, <laughs> it could have been worse. They could have been the New York football giants and uh, and lost wow, 40, what, a, what, 44 to 0 yeah. to the Cowboys. That was a comedy of a game right there. Just every single time I every single time I looked, it was like another another ridiculous turnover, ridiculous play, just that entire game for the Giants. They looked horrible, which same, same story. I'm not, I'm not taking away too much from anybody on week one. Exactly. Last year, last year, San Francisco went to Chicago and lost to the bears yeah, in a rain game, in, too. A, in a rain game. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I think eventually, they did all right. Yeah. Eventually the Bears won two more games the rest of the year and the Niners were really good. And honestly, as we've said before, if uh Brock Purdy doesn't go down and Jimmy G was obviously down, yeah. maybe they beat the Eagles or in the Super Bowl. So can't always take a lot away from week one, but you never know. There there's a <laughs> one thing you can't take away is a season ending injury. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, it, it could be worse for uh for certain teams, you know. Uh, anyways, might as well use that as our cue. Speaking of, uh, hopefully not taking too much away and, <laughs> yeah, and exactly. flushing it and moving on to the rest of the season, we'll get into uh, some Seahawks talk. That is a radio worthy transition, right <laughs> yeah. there. They uh, they lose to the Rams at home, thirty to thirteen. What the hell happened? <laughs> yeah, I was hoping. Yeah, I was hoping I was going to ask that question as as the, that's why as I'm the beating host. You. Yeah. That's why I'm beating you to it. Yeah. Uh, First half, uh, you know, things look pretty good. 
Hawks were moving the ball, running running the ball. I think that was a big part of what yes. I think what if we want to get down to the nitty gritty of why I think that uh, the second half was was a bit poor. Uh, first half you're running the ball with Ken Walker and moving the chains, running or uh, passing games, working off of that, and uh, really, I mean, you're a missed field goal at the end of the first half, away from being up ten, going into halftime, and probably thinking you're going to be coasting in for a dub. Then you miss miss the field goal, get a get a little doink on there, and then uh, and then you just get you get boat raced after that by by LA. I mean, yeah, three three yards of total offense in the second half for the Seahawks. Only one first down, and realistically, I think the first down came on a much like we were saying with Sauce Gardner. I felt like a very ticky tack PI call oh, yeah, oh, in, yeah. uh, in Tyler Lockett's favor, where yeah. Gino just telegraphs one over to him. And the DB sees it all the way and kind of gets there a little early, but that's because he yeah, it was a poorly he, thrown he had ball. Just, as, just yeah. as much right to that ball as Lockett did. But you know, you take it at the time, and uh, we'll jump already to the second half. But we'll we'll get more into what happened in the first half here. But that was your one first down, and then. Uh, Third and four, Gino decides he wants to try to throw a deep ball to DK Metcalf. Yeah, didn't like, really, didn't really get that one, especially when you at that point we were only down seven, I believe. No, I think we were still. I think we were down one. Okay, it was fourteen. We that okay, was like yeah. it was like fourteen to 13. thirteen or whatever. Yeah, so you're you're not that far down. <laughs> you're you're one point down, and you decide to go deep ball. It's like I I know that that's what the Seahawks like to do, but. Run the ball. <laughs> go, go get one yard. and Throw also, it to Will Disley. I don't care. Yeah, like, just, yeah, get something. Just, just move yeah. the chains. And, like, honestly, it felt That's like. That's also why you got Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's like yeah. for those intermediate routes, like the short. Like, that's. That was. Uh, I think that was probably one of the other most concerning things is that it really didn't appear that we had any idea how to get the ball in his hands this entire that entire game it's like no he had one couple, nice catch early yeah. for a first down on the exact type of play i think it was third i think it was third and like five and they basically run him on a long drag route from left to right catches it gets his six or seven yards uh that was about the only time that we used him effectively at all yeah i mean honestly will disley was about our most effective receiver outside of that dk touchdown yeah but dk i mean that guy was a headache too in the game like he, yeah. he had the one touchdown catch, which was really nice, but he also got the got the big taunting penalty after, in my mind, which was he made a extremely unprofessional cheap shot on that guy. Yeah, one that gets he's pro- a, one that he probably has been fined for. Yeah, since then he gets away with it, and then they yeah. chirp at him, and it's like the guy. I mean, the guy literally dyed his hair blue to say that he needs to keep a cool head. It's like that's all talk and showmanship nothing he's done has proven that he has that ability that it's like all the the sidelines just keep chirping at him and they can get a 15 yard penalty out of him like yeah the guy the guy's just kind of a baby honestly yeah like go perform you 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 couldn't get an inch of separation outside of that one touchdown catch like yeah i think it was a maybe it was a premonition because they they showed it like right before that drive i feel like too they showed him on the sideline sucking on his binky (laughs) Like yeah. his binky mouth guard, and then uh, and then he goes out there and acts like acts like a baby, and and gets a penalty in a crucial moment. Like part, I don't know that the Seahawks were coming back in that game at that point. It was still like a one score game, maybe maybe it I think was ten it, points. Yeah, I, say, I think it was, it was I think it was two scores at that point, but I think it was ten 
it, yeah, but you, so you really 13. needed you really needed a score there to yeah. to make it you know make it a, a one score game yeah, and you had like second and eight and then that turns into second and 17 and then Gino gets sacked like yeah. back to back plays or whatever yeah exactly but just yeah. a real uninspiring performance which was unfortunate because like you said is it going back to the first half kind of bouncing around just playing jazz out here with the Seahawks talk but you know they, they look like they had a balance attack early in the game handing the ball off to Ken Walker he's oh much like you said with Brees Hall he's always liable to bust one he had a couple nice runs some that had nothing he had that one that nothing was in developing in front of him kind of breaks down at the line bounces out to his left gets like 15 yards no problem. The offense is moving. Yeah. Checkdowns to Will Disley on a couple of those. Nice little catches. Yeah. And then he had a couple creative runs going on too with like the like moving tight ends around and having like DJ Dallas come out and like almost kind of play a fullback role. Like they were they were doing a lot of good stuff. Like really, I, I guess at the end of the day, it's the script looked good, right? Like your first drive script looked good. Maybe you're doing some of the script on the second drive too because it's week one. You've had plenty of time to input plays, and it's the Rams. You, you've got an idea of their tape. And so those first two drives look good, and then after that it's just complete crap. Like It just completely fell away from you. Um, and honestly, is it uh, – again, I don't want to sound – don't want to sound too one-note because – well-documented Gino hater, but like that kind of just feels like the Gino experience though. Yeah. Is it like when things are really like scripted and like staying on track, he can go out there and perform. Didn't help that uh, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas each got hurt. That's yeah. obviously horrible. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, it doesn't help like that. That's really bad, but like you, you got to find a way to overcome that and you got to be able to stay like, you got to be able to still make plays. Yeah. And it just seemed like as soon as that happened, as soon as that happened and the Rams started to make moves and come back, it was like Gino just looked lost back there. Yeah. Now it makes it tough because like we only had, we only had like what, 15 offensive snaps in the second half. <laughs> I think yeah. I saw before, I think uh, I'm kind of working off the top of my head, but I think the Seahawks had 46 total offensive plays to the Rams like 78 not very good not very good but yeah and part of that too is that we decided in the second half you would think especially with the two tackles going down is like while it's still being a close game is like we need to run the ball and kill the clock yeah and try to like get just grind this through a little bit and instead of going straight to all passing and when your tackles are down also it it seemed like uh the rams did a really good job of adjusting their pass rush a little bit like uh it seemed like pretty much every single play that i can remember in that second half every pass play was uh just a little stunt from Aaron Donald. What he lined up on either side, yep. and he would just do a little, a little stunt, let the play develop for a second, and then he would just stunt around, around the other side of the the center, pretty much, and pretty much no one touched him. And in my estimation, um, that is the only guy that you need to have accounted for or account for as an offensive lineman. Um, Aaron Donald's been the best defensive player probably for the last decade so you probably want to know where he is at all times so the fact that he was just going doing easy stunts right around 
No one's picking him up. I don't know if that's on if that's on the lineman or if that's on Gino not getting like not getting the right protection called. Probably a combination of both, but it definitely I mean it just seemed easy for him. He just like he was just like hezzy for two seconds or half a second, let the let everyone develop, and then he just stunt around and walk right up into Gino's face every time. And I, you've probably all seen that the thing that ESPN was pumping out too, where Gino's like, "Oh my god!" like screams when he sees Aaron Donald come around on that same exact stunt that I'm talking about. Yeah. Go, you go watch it on on X or or whatever on ESPN and watch the video. It's like this is the exact stunt I'm talking about, and they ran it pretty much every. Every, especially every third and long or every long passing down, same play. Yeah, and again, I don't know, don't know if it's on Gino. I don't know if it's on the wide receivers. I don't know if it's on the play calling and the offense in general. But the Rams, we said it before. Is it like I think a lot of people think they are going to suck, but it's like they're going to give the Seahawks problems. A, they always do. But B, like they still have some talented players. Yeah. But realistically, that Rams defense, they have. Well, I, I'll give. They have two talented players, and that's Aaron Donald and Ernest Jones. I think their linebacker yeah. is actually pretty a pretty good player too. But Aaron Donald is really the only player that you really have to account for. So the Seahawks' inability in the second half to try to create any mismatches, yeah, anywhere, whether yeah. it's with the whether yeah. that's on a run play yeah. or a pass play, tight end, running back, someone go chip that guy. <laughs> Someone yeah, it's like you should be able help. to account for Aaron Donald, and he'll still win some plays. Yeah, like that's okay, but he can't he can't have a win rate as high as he did yeah. in that game. And then you also can't have none of your receivers, at least you know. Again, we don't until we get our until we get our uh, press credential stuff. You know, I, they don't give us copies of the all twenty two tape, so I can <laughs> I can only watch the the highlights and the uh, TV broadcast, but. Didn't seem like a lot of receivers were getting a lot of separation. I don't know if that's poor route concepts or just poor execution. Yeah. You know, there definitely was some heightened pressure. But, again, at the end of the day, it's like you only had, like, three or four drives in the entire second half. You basically went three and out and punted. And, honestly, transition this to the defense a little bit, too, because I think it's, you know, they, they obviously play off of each other, is that the Rams – played the way that I thought that the Seahawks would want to try to play. They controlled the clock. They had long, long drives. Yep. And then they put the Seahawks in positions where it's like, all right, we just drove for seven minutes and got points. Your turn, three and out. Great. Now we're going to go another six or seven minutes on a drive, get points. All right, your turn, three and out. And it's like, great, we're in the fourth quarter with a double-digit lead. Like, yeah, I, that's how I thought the Seahawks were going to want to play. Yeah, is we're just going to run the ball, control the clock, take what's take take what we can get. A lot of throws over the middle. These are all things that I thought the Seahawks were going to do, and the Rams did it. Yeah, relentlessly. Well, yeah, and it, I mean, I think the reason that we thought the Seahawks were going to do this is because we've taken the Rams quarterback yeah. coach with the intent that and made him our offensive coordinator with the intent that we were going to run that type of offense, and so. Yeah, that's. I think that's why you and I thought that's exactly what what this thing was going to look like. Um, yeah, transitioning to the defense a little bit though, a lot of people were talking about D line looked looked a little better on the run game. I'm gonna say I disagree with that overall, just because the Rams got 
whatever they wanted when they needed it with the run game. It's like there weren't many third and one or third and two stops on runs. Like that's why they were able to have those long sustained drives. It was because they'd get to third and one or two and they'd run the ball for three yards or they'd pass the ball for eight yards. Either one, they were were pretty effective at both of those, but they just, it, it seemed like the Seahawks defense, you got Bobby Wagner back and then you instantly looked like the team two years ago with Bobby Wagner where you couldn't get off the field ever. Bobby Wagner got 19 tackles. What do you have to show for it? A 30-something to, to 17 loss or whatever the heck it was. It's like you, your defense had a terrible game overall. Like first half was a little bit better, obviously, but when it was all said and done, your defense looked terrible. And so I don't know if that's, the, if that's them like kind of reverting back to – oh, hey, here's Bobby and here's how we do it. But, like, I don't think that's going to that's gonna work. <laughs> you know, I don't, no. and I don't know exactly what it is. And I, you know, I think Bobby got, I think Bobby gets beat on some of those, some of those intermediate passing routes. He gets a lot of tackles. I'm not going to put it all on Bobby because I think that a lot of that was Kobe Bryant, too. Being Kobe kind of got beat like a drum. Yeah, I think Kobe got kind of beat like a drum, and that allowed Love to to get a lot of tackles as well because he was kind of saving everybody's ass on those. And yeah, but I also I don't know that I blame Kobe a whole lot because he's. I mean, I blame him because he did it, <laughs> but he's also been changed positions three times in the last three years. And so I think that's tough, and it's his first game in that role. And so they exploited him a little bit, and that's going to happen. So but, few, few yeah, things, yeah, yeah, the, few, few things there is that, one, uh, agree on the Bobby Wagner front. I feel like if you look at the stats, of, I'd said this uh, before, like you said, in the uh, 2021 season where it's like Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks were like two of the top leading tacklers in the NFL. Like, that is a bad statistic. Bobby Wagner had 19 tackles yesterday, or Sunday because they couldn't get off the field. Yeah. That's not a good thing. Yeah. Like, Bobby Wagner would have been better served, too. Most of those tackles he got were, like, five yards or more than five yards downfield because he was making a lot of coverage tackles. Yeah. Too. It's like, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Bobby Wagner and getting it- 19 tackles, that is an indictment of how poorly your defense is played because you can't get off the field. On the flip side, like I said before, I think Ernest Jones had like eight tackles. That's yeah. because they got off the field. He had eight very impactful tackles. Yeah. He, ma- he had a lot of good plays. And those results of them getting off the field, that is a problem. As far as like the coverage goes, again, it's only one game. But like this is where I will be concerned is because it seems like the Seahawks, we talked about this a bunch, especially after they drafted Devin Witherspoon, who – might be back next week, and I think probably takes a lot of those coverage snaps from somebody like Kobe Bryant, and you would think that you used a fifth overall pick on somebody like Devin Witherspoon to be a lot better in coverage than somebody like Kobe. But I thought I thought drafting Devin Witherspoon was a clear sign that they're going to get back to Legion of Boom basics and play some like simple cover three defense. I feel like all I saw in that game – was that they're still running this 3-4 with a ton of zone coverage over the middle where guys are just getting lost on their assignment. 
Yeah. There's just too many moving parts over the middle of the field. Add in the fact that you have guys like Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks playing a lot of coverage over the middle of the field. And Matt Stafford just picked them apart. Yeah. I think there's a lot of those. Like you said, Julian Love had a lot of tackles. There's a lot of those where I feel like like Julian Love thinks that the guy who's in that zone is going to stay on him. And then he lets he releases him. And he's like, fuck, I got to fly up and go get this guy. It's already too late at that point. Yeah. Just a lot of like zone coverage where you're passing a man off to somebody else. And the other guy is not ready for you to pass him off. Yeah. Which is like, that was the beauty of of the Legion of Boom days. Cover three is it's like, it's very simple on paper. It's complex because the players know how to play so well. Yeah. But by design, it is very simple and it's very just kind of like yeah. matchup oriented. We're going to run one play 80% of the game today. Yeah. And so and it seems we just like need to they're just, run that play to the highest They're just confusing. It, like, yeah. It's looked so often that it's just like, oh, and there's that guy open over the middle. It's like, you're just confusing yourself by trying to like play all these zone coverages across there and guys just aren't getting passed off to the next man properly enough. Yeah. And guys like... Puka Nakua, who we love, former yeah. Husky, is, you know, he's making his debut as a fifth-round draft pick and getting 120 yards receiving. Like, yeah. that's crazy. You know? Yeah. You and didn't it, see, you that, didn't see Reed Bowen the... get challenged much on that side. I think he gave up one catch. He had a couple more that maybe weren't attributed to him. Puka yeah. beat him deep on one. Uh, but he, I thought he did a good job of getting back in into position on that. He, he still might have – perfect throw. He might have caught it and still, but he was in a pretty good position. But that's why Reek is a freak, though, is that also yeah. is like if that ball's thrown slightly different, he probably goes up and picks it. Stafford put it out there in front of him where only his man could get it. Yeah. Puka tries to make a diving catch, doesn't get it. Uh, yeah. They also, I feel like Puka and Stafford left yards on the table in that game. Like they had a couple where I think Sanchez was talking about it on the, on the uh, broadcast quite a bit where he's like, Puka's supposed to be like, kind of dragging his route a little bit more and like slowing up and instead he's like flying through full speed and so they were kind of off on some timing stuff it's like they had wide open zone beaters on the on the seahawks all day long at, at the end of the day like i said it's a symbiotic relationship between offense and defense and i feel like a lot of people i mean twitter is the worst place to go for anything is that a lot of people shitting on the seahawks and saying that the defense is broken is it like that wasn't a good game for him, but just remember the first half actually was a pretty good defensive half for him. The second half, the offense literally wasn't on the field. The defense <laughs> yeah. was on the entire time. Yeah. If they do anything to move the ball or control the clock at all, I don't think they're giving up all of those plays, yeah. but they were just on for basically the entirety of the second half. Yeah. So no shit. They didn't look that good. Yeah. They were the only ones playing the entire time. Yeah. That's all product of opportunity. Yeah. Like if the Seahawks do what they're supposed to do offensively and help control the clock a little bit, like they don't give up that many points. Yeah. They don't give up. And maybe ideally you force Stafford to try to make some decisions and throws. that are a little more challenging because yeah. they need to much like they got Gino to do. They yeah. need to try to make something happen. Yeah. They never had to do anything. Once they took the lead is like the Seahawks never yeah, did anything right offensively. Over. That, yeah. Like the Rams, like we can just keep, we can keep doing what we're doing. I mean, Kieran Williams, I think, averaged three and a half yards a carry, and Cam Akers averaged like one point nine. Didn't stop him from running the ball because they didn't have to stop. Yeah, but that's also just good play calling. Is like, nope, we're just gonna 
we'll take our two yards a run. We'll take our check downs across the middle and throw in a Matt Stafford juking Bobby Wagner and getting nine yards on second and ten. Yeah, that was. And then QB sneaking I, I it love for Bob, a first. But that one, I, that one was infuriating. Bob will have better days, but he's definitely looking old. And I, I do think that there's something to be said is that the construction, the 3-4 defense does not suit where he's at in his career because it just, it just finds him and Jordan Brooks playing full run, run defense in the middle of the field and full underneath passing. Yeah. And that's a lot of responsibilities for a older linebacker who was pretty good at pass coverage in his younger years, but was never known for his pass coverage. I, I just don't think it really sets either of those guys up for success a lot, especially when you have basically no pass rush. Yeah, that, that was kind of going to be my next point, is that I thought the, uh, I thought the pass rush was <laughs> dismal, non-existent. Uh, Nawusu had a good player, too. I, I saw Mafe get folded in half by... By the right tackle, by by uh, the Rams, and uh, that was the second most interesting thing I saw from the D line. I think was him getting folded in half on somehow on a pass on a pass rush where he was running full speed. The the uh, O lineman stuck him with one hand and folded him in half, which is quite impressive. Um, I tried to see one of these Twitter. Maybe it was PFF. Maybe it was something else. Trying to say like. Uh, like top 10 pressure rates for individual players. And they had Daryl Taylor at like three and boy, Moffat at eight. And I was like, whatever your metric is, it's not <laughs> I right. I didn't see it. Yeah. Did Daryl Taylor even play in that game? I, I don't remember seeing him. He had that one that was almost good. Remember we were joking about it is that he like made a good bull rush to start and the guy, and then the guy, oh, kind, of, right. and then and he, then the guy yeah. kind of stonewalls him. And then, so he, then he tries to like <laughs> pop him again. Doesn't work because the guy's already like set his feet now, and then he hits him with the inside spin move, which That's works right. really well. But by then Stafford like gets rid of the ball. I was like, why didn't you hit him with the spin right? Right once you got him, <laughs> right to when stop you had his him feet. off his yeah off his like off his uh, balance. There. Yeah, he like just planted his feet underneath him because you drove him back so far. Is like hit him with the inside spin and tackle his ass. Yeah, but he like. Takes a yeah, beat. Did a delayed hezzy spin. Yeah, that's, about, spin that's then, about the only play I remember Daryl yeah, Taylor having in the game. But yeah, uh, I don't remember Draymond. I, just, I don't remember him at all. I think Draymond had a player too in the run game. Yeah, I remember I mean, hearing him in, get a in tackle. General, and, and like said, Jaron Reed had like he had the block kick and he had a couple tackles here and there. Like so, I, I mean, I think so you kind of you kind of poo pooed it earlier, but which is yeah, fair okay. is that is that their short yardage run defense wasn't as good as it could have been because they ended yeah. up giving a lot of first yeah, downs up. Overall, their overall run defense it, it was okay. pretty decent. Yeah. And, you know, may, I'm sure they came in, though, with a game plan, which ultimately was not very effective. I'm sure there was, like, Cooper Cup's not in the game. Like, don't let them run the ball. Make yeah. make Stafford throw it to Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell. And if those guys beat us, so they won't. Yeah, <laughs> but they did. Yeah, and ultimately, uh, you lost the game. That's about as embarrassing of a performance I think the Seahawks have had in a long time. Yeah, easily. Especially given, uh, like I said, I don't think we were sleeping on the Rams as much as a lot of people, but I still expected them to win the game, or at least if they were going to lose, it would come down 
to one of the, the last few plays of the game, and that was clearly not the case. Yeah. Um, I put I still put a lot of blame mostly on Gino and Shane Waldron. You could beat up the defense as much as you want, but I'm, I'm a big I'm a big believer in the fact that it's like you kind of it's a push pull thing that it's like if your offense isn't helping you out by moving the ball and controlling the clock a little bit, there's only so much you can ask of a defense. Yeah. And yes, they could have been better and made better plays given the situation they were put in. But at the end of the day, it's like if the Seahawks actually control the clock, cut one or two of those possessions out just by actually holding the ball for more than like five minutes in the second half and then maybe scoring some points. Like that's when you get those like turnover worthy plays too, is because then guys are trying to, guys are trying to make plays to win the game instead of just like making plays to much like Josh Allen. Like you said before, is it like you put guys in positions that they try to make plays and sometimes they make the wrong play by throwing a pick or fumbling it. But Stafford and the Rams didn't really ever have to do that in the second half. The Seahawks yeah, they were just on offense control. just kind of rolled over. Yeah. So defense defense is going to need to figure some things out, and I think that they will. I think getting Devin Witherspoon back will be a big part of that. But yeah. off- offense has got to figure out some more rhythm. But yeah, like I said before, it's week one. I'm not going to overreact to it. Guys are still rusty. Yeah. I think you get back to basics and you hand the ball off to Ken Walker, Charbonnet, didn't really look that good. He also like they just—they didn't really get a couple carries. They didn't really do anything. On how do you even assess the Seahawks' offense in the second half? They didn't really play. Yeah. So I I don't really know what to take away from that. Yeah, they had, they had. Yeah, if you said fifteen plays, that's as many plays as they had on the first drive of the game, pretty much. So yeah, that's a tough, tough to. Tough to make a real assessment, but Charbonnet did not go for those uh, two tutties that I. <laughs> that I could have used that for fantasy, but yeah, that was uh, that's a negative on that one. So. so Seahawks go to Detroit. Detroit just came off a big win on Thursday night against the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. How do you like the Seahawks' chances in Detroit? You know, I think I think they'll be right in there again. Yeah, I. There's not too many times in uh, in the Pete Carroll era that they are unprepared for two straight games. <laughs> now they may not win the game, I because that has happened before. But I think that they're going to be. I think it's going to be a much closer game, and I don't see why we don't match up fine enough with <laughs> with Detroit. I mean, they it's kind of going to be the same same exact offense that you just saw more or less. Like Goff check down, like they got a good running back. And they got a good. They've got better receivers on this team, but you're gonna kind of see the same idea, like short underneath passing. Yeah, if you let Amon-Ra get loose underneath, like that's gonna be a real problem for the Seahawks. But yeah, so you gotta you gotta shore up those those zone exchanges and like make sure that that's covered up because you're gonna see you're gonna see it again (laughs) this week, and so and you're gonna face a tough defense. This week, probably a more talented defense, maybe a little younger, but actually, I guess it's probably not younger because uh, Rams defense is also super young. But you're gonna see, I think you're gonna see a similar caliber of of uh, team overall with some more, probably more offensive talent, and you gotta go out there and gotta go out there and figure it out. And I think the C, I, I mean, I like the Seahawks' chances. Do you know what the what the spread on that game is? No, I don't. I. 
I want. I'm guessing they're favored by three to five. I want to say Detroit's there. favored by five and a half. Yeah. Um, okay. But you know, maybe you can catch them. Uh, you know, Detroit. You just have a big emotional win opening night against, like I said, arguably the best team in all of football. Seahawks are coming off an embarrassing loss, so it's like you're a little more fired up, like time to get going. So maybe you can catch them a little bit on this kind of ebb and flow of of feelings. But yeah, I mean, Detroit's benefited by the fact too that they get a few extra days since they played on Thursday night and it's at home. Seahawks are playing that 10 a.m. game. Although the Seahawks, if you like, haven't been... It's six points, by the way. Six points. Seahawks, if you like, haven't actually been that bad at those 10 a.m. games, even yeah. though that's kind of the... The, the talk, you know, always that tough to travel in those ones. But I expect the Seahawks to be better. But, yeah, if I was a gambling man, I'd probably take the Seahawks to cover six. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'll take the Seahawks to cover six. I don't know if I've got them winning that game, though. Yeah. that was It was always going to be a tough game on on the road against Detroit, how they're playing right now. Um, and it seems like they – they're a team that does a really good job of kind of getting you out of rhythm also. It's like they, just looking back at their last, what, eight or nine games over the last year and a half, last season, and this season, like they've made some good teams look out of sorts on offense. So for our offense that already looked out of sorts, hopefully they can – there's a lot to figure out there. <laughs> hopefully we can figure it out. We also went and beat them last year, so – yeah, that, I was gonna we say, just kind of sparked their uh, winning streak. I feel like after that, did uh, you realize that? Cause, yeah, obviously the Seahawks played at Detroit last year, where we scored like damn near fifty points. Yeah, in that big shootout, we play at the Lions again this year, and we play at the Lions again next year. Three really? straight years on the road against the that's, Lions. That's something kind of unheard of, but. Hopefully, hopefully that's just an easy win on the schedule for three years in a row. I mean, like you said, they did it last year. It's so. the Lions. Come on. As I was gonna say, at the end of the day, hopefully, hopefully the Seahawks can bring some swagger into uh, into Motor City and be like, "Yeah, I don't care that you guys are better. You're still the Lions, and we're still the Seahawks, and we don't we don't lose to you guys. Yeah, you guys are trash and bottom feeders." Yeah, to quote Jamal Williams uh, from last year, quit playing with me, man. We the Lions. Yeah, I, I don't want to – I think uh, – but I still think that's going to be a tough game. So I'll take uh, I'll take Seahawks. I'll take Seahawks covering the six, losing by three. How about that? Late field goal. I'll go 34-31 Lions. 34-31 I like that number, but I'll go I'll go 27-24. How about that? All right, shifting gears to some college football. Didn't get a, get to watch a lot of college football, but there was a handful of big games. Utah narrowly uh, escapes defeat playing against Baylor. The Cougars knocked off uh, Wisconsin out in a rocking Martin Stadium. Okay. More on that 32, later. 32,000 strong. Okay. Yep. Uh, Texas beats Alabama. Alabama travels, you know, uh, west more than a, 500 miles for the first time in three decades, and they lose. Shocker. Crazy. Uh, let's see. Was there any? Oh, and then Colorado improves to 2-0 and and uh, beats Nebraska. Which I mean, they beat the corn, baby. Everybody beats Nebraska these days, but <laughs> yeah. still, still big, big yeah. win for Coach Prime and his program. So, uh, any of those games really stick out to you? Um, 
I mean, a couple couple things there. I was I was uh, shocked, honestly, that the that the Huskies didn't win their game and drop in the polls uh, from that Bama Bama Texas game because I just figured th- that the uh, disrespect that the AP usually has was gonna shine through, and uh, and they were gonna like throw Bama down to eight, drop the Huskies down to nine, and then bring Texas up to like four or five or wherever they ended up at uh, in the AP this week. And somehow the, Hus- you know, because Bama's such a powerhouse, like Texas jumps us and, ba- and Bama stays ahead of us in the polls. So that was a, you know, that was a nice surprise. Uh, I'm yeah. Didn't watch any of that game. I wish I had going to try to find, got to try to find some highlights or something. Cause I literally know nothing about that Texas Bama game. I'm sure it was a good game. I just, I, I'm I kind of guess recurring theme that we're probably going to talk about here is that I don't know how excited the SEC should be to uh, be inviting Texas and uh, Oklahoma into their into their uh, um, conference, much like the the uh, Big Ten. I don't know how excited they should be for inviting uh, UW and Oregon and USC and UCLA into their conference because you had UC uh, you had uh, Wisconsin go dust uh, or get dusted. Sorry by by Washington State, who's going to be in the Mountain West next year. Back to back years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Back to back years, and they beat you at home last year, and now they're now they took care of business on the road too. So that's a middle of the road at best Pac-12 school, and your 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 crown jewel of the last decade is getting getting dusted team that's been in the been in the big 10 championship probably at least five if not more the last 10 years probably so i I just think that that's all interesting that these these games are getting played same with same with uh utah going like playing a big 12 team and beating them that was a little bit closer obviously but it's that was a little bit of a shock little yeah that was a little bit closer of a game but i think that was also it was really hot in Texas that on um, that game. Is. Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. It usually is, but I think it was in the hundreds, and Utah was still Cam Rising's out, so they were they were a little slow. It looked like in that game, but when it came down to the end, wasn't really surprised that they were able to kind of get it together and go win that game because that's just what good teams do, and that's what Utah did at the end. They just kind of took care of business. Yeah, stretch. Quick. I think I said I didn't watch the end of that game, but I was. I think I called the end of that game because I had to go shower to go get ready for this wedding, and you were watching it. And I was like, "Well, I just want to see this touchdown here because they're probably going to throw a pick and score and win the game after that. So it probably won't even go to overtime." I went up and go shower and let two plays later they throw a pick on the thirty-five. Yeah, Baylor. And, Baylor. Yeah, Baylor. Lollipops one right to the safety. <laughs> yeah, yeah and it's like I, I already knew it was going to happen, so I was like, yeah, "I don't need to watch it. I'm. I just need to make sure they score here because I know they're going to score and." And uh, tie it up because I know they're gonna win it before before it's uh, regulation or b- the end of regulation. So that that was pretty much chalk in my book for what I thought was gonna happen. Yeah. So uh, a quick story, and and then I'll get to my my point there that kind of follows all that. I I told you this story before. I'll keep it short for our listeners. But a few weeks back, I was in Spokane and hanging out, having some beers, talking to a guy who. Uh, Remind me a lot of friend of the show, Jeff. Shout out, Jeff. Um, but nice guy. A little bit of a uh, provoker, though. A little bit. Just a little bit. 
<laughs> in a nice way, though, and in a loving kind of way. But he was a he's an Iowa Hawkeye grad, and then he was kind of like, "Yeah, what do you what do you think about uh, Huskies moving to the Big Ten? And I was like, "It's great. I love it. Like, I think it's gonna be really exciting. Like, Huskies are gonna, you know, a lot of new opponents to face. I'm excited to go to some road games and like, you know, I think the Huskies will." You know, you want you want basically everything we had said before. You know, like yeah. you you want to be at the table and like the Huskies are yeah. right in that. You know, they're a big time program. And my bears like, oh, I don't know about that. I think I'd be worried if I was a Husky fan. Like basically, it's like you're gonna go from being one of the top teams in the Pac-12 to probably being a middle of the road team in the Big Ten. I'd be worried. And I was like, huh, like how do you figure that? It's <laughs> like, oh, I don't think I don't think the Huskies are gonna. Are gonna like so much going to Iowa in November when it's cold and snowing, and I was like, I got no problem going to Pullman and beat them. And I'd forgot that the that the Cougars had just beat Wisconsin the year before. I was like, Yeah, I mentioned that. Too. Uh, but then we kind of started arguing about that too, because I was like, Cougars would probably be a middle of the road team in the Big Ten if they were coming along too. So I wouldn't really discount them. And like, rah, 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 we kind of like, it was, it was all good nature. But it kind of lends that point though. Is it's like. I think these West Coast teams, these Pac-12 schools, they're much more accustomed to like traveling long distances to play these games that it really plays in their benefit. And you've seen that already early in the season. It's like Wisconsin doesn't want to go out to Pullman. Yeah. They don't want to do that. That's a long road trip for them. And like they looked that game, you know, we watched the game in 60 a little earlier today because I hadn't really seen what had happened in the game. But it's like Wisconsin came out flat. They looked yeah. like a team that was still jet lagged, and yeah. they came out flat. And the uh, sorry, the Cougars just like put the pedal to the metal and took a lead early. That Ron Stone Jr. looked awesome. He had two strip sacks on like back to back drives, one of which resulted in a scoop and score from inside the five yard line. Like Cougars came out and they looked awesome, and Wisconsin looked like a team that wasn't used to traveling. You saw that a couple weeks ago too, where Florida played their first non conference game out of their own state. Since like the nineties, yeah, and they came out to Utah. They came out to Utah, and they looked flat, and they looked terrible. Yeah. And then on the flip side, it's not that long of a trip, but you know, Utah has to go into Texas into a hot, hot uh, Waco, Texas, and play, and they they look flat to start. But by the end of the game, it's like we're the better team. We take over. We win. Yeah. Right. So. I said I think it's just another good weekend for the Pac-12, and I think it does speak to the fact that. You know, I'm not here to say that Utah and Huskies are better than Bama and Georgia or like teams like that, but the SEC and the Big Ten, they really coddle themselves because they all play within like a hour plane ride away from each other. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, I think I think there's some people in the Big Ten, like uh like my friend I made in Spokane, they're like, Oh, you're gonna hate that travel over here. It's like and I think you're going to hate it. the travel yeah. over here a lot more. Yeah. Because we're used to traveling a long ways for these games, and you're not. Like, yeah. our teams know how to travel. And you saw it again, Bama. I mean, I guess Bama plays Texas A&M, so they're used to traveling. It's still not that far. Yeah. But it's just like, Bama never challenges themselves in the non-conference unless They've it's... also lost at Texas A&M a couple times. I feel like that's yeah. usually their... That's usually one of those games that they, like, are... Have a difficult time. Yeah. <laughs> every, they really, every year, even when AM's, it's like Kellen Mond is giving them fits every year. You know? Yeah. So, it's like so. they don't really challenge themselves, like, in that regard. And so then when they get presented with that challenge, like, they're not used to trying to figure out how to overcome it, you know? And 
you're kind of seeing the Pac-12. It's a shame that it's the last year of its existence because you're kind of really starting to see that. Yeah, it showed, in the, polls. It showed in the polls this week when you had, uh, what, UCLA, uh, Washington State, Oregon State, USC, UW, who am I missing, Oregon. Yeah, Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, USC, UCLA. So six of the six of the twelve schools and Utah. and Utah. So seven of the twelve schools. Oh, and Colorado. Eight of the twelve schools, all in the all ranked in the top twenty-five. So eat your heart out, world. Pac-12 West Coast football's trash and always has been. You can't get a you can't get a team into the uh, college football playoff any any year. And some of that's deserved, but in my mind, like there are a lot of good quarterbacks right now in the, in the league, but like. In my mind, it's the same thing that it's always been. It's like, well, it's just perception and marketing, yeah. and like that was kind of, I think, part yeah. of the point. The, the Pac 12s gotten the best marketing that they've ever had because they're dissipating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it took, now eyes are yeah, on them because yeah. they know that's that they the won't 40 be around. checkers that uh, Klyovkov was thinking about here. It's like, we're going to dissipate the Pac 12 in order to make it great. <laughs> yeah. Dissipate to be yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's, wow, that's, a, that's, that's, a new, that's a new slogan. Yeah. But, uh, that's also the name of the episode. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, and like that was kind of my point, though, too, even with saying like the Cougars would be a middle of the road Big Ten team. As I've said this before, is like Ohio State is great in the Big Ten. And A, it's obviously because they get the best talent. They are the most talented team. But it was basically once they brought Urban Meyer over, as it's like, we are going to be a spread offense, pass attacking team in a conference that basically just lines them up and it's three yards in a cloud of dust. Like that is like the nature of this conference. And now they dominate everybody yeah. because these teams like Wisconsin, Wisconsin's a good team. They don't know how to compete with that. Yeah. If they're bigger, faster and stronger, you know, like, you know, if, if Waverly baby home that runs a spread offense comes in, like if Tulsa, you know, like who the Huskies <laughs> played comes in, like, are they going to lose to Tulsa? No, probably not. But like Cougars have talent yeah. and like, but Wisconsin doesn't know how to really line up against that, and they definitely don't know how to counter once they go down multiple scores because they don't really have the ability. Yeah, because they've never been an offense. And the Cougars passing high power. And the Cougars know how to defend it because they play against it. Yeah. Uh, So I I think that's interesting, and it will be a, I think it'll be an interesting move, obviously. But it's good to see the Pac-12 doing well. Yeah. Moving moving towards. Yeah. What we got? I think we we got to talk about. Uh, Colorado real quick too Ooh. before we uh before we move on to the Huskies just that Colorado's 2 and 0 they beat Nebraska no one really cares about that uh, they've got college game day coming this week which is crazy it's Colorado Colorado State yeah i think i think college game day is just taking advantage of the opportunity right now cuz it may be the only one you get maybe not <laughs> we'll see but you can Every, save it for the week after, which maybe you still well, can. Well, the week after is at Autzen, I believe. And then the week I mean, after I guess that is home in- versus, versus USC, which I feel like that's really the one, even if you lose, even if they, because I assume they will win this week and handedly beat Colorado State, they should. And then and then win or lose against against Oregon, like I think they'd still be ranked. I mean, maybe if they get spanked by Oregon, then, then they'd lose their ranking. But assuming they put up a decent game, which I don't see any reason why they won't. 
I mean, the way they've played so far. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't see any for, reason for all this they... Bo Nix love. Is that like, I don't know, I'd take Shadur Sanders over Bo Nix right I, now. I, I 100% would take Shadur Sanders over Bo Nix. I, I still can't believe that people have Bo Nix ahead of Michael Penix on their, on their draft boards. I haven't seen anything to, to warrant that. But that's a that's a different story for a different day. We can we can have plenty of Oregon hate. But I mean, just uh, right now you uh, win against Colorado State. You're gonna take or you're gonna have the over on uh, on wins for Colorado in the season, which is crazy. Which yeah, which is crazy to think about. I mean. Maybe not so crazy three weeks ago to think about that, but now that you see this, the team that they've put out there, it's like you have a four, four five-star quarterback and a five-star wide receiver cornerback. Like you can do a lot of things with that, yeah. And they're showing that. So well, now's the time to strike because the biggest question mark I think on this Colorado team is depth. Yeah, they clearly have talented players, and I think. Anybody who has actually given them any credit would know that, that most of their skill positions are highly recruited players and big-time transfers. Yeah. Like, they just don't have the depth. Yeah. If people start to get banged up and hurt and, they have, and they're missing players, like, they might be a pretty average, at best, roster. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the final note I want to have on Colorado here real quick before we take off is – uh, you really rush the field when you beat unranked Nebraska. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> when you're favored to win the game, you're a ranked a ranked team against an unranked opponent. What do you think about that? Uh, what do I think about <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, what do you think about that? I don't think that's ass of nine. I think that's ass of ten. <laughs> like, that, like I said, I, hey, do you know what? Be happy. Celebrate your team. Like, I get it. Like, go out and party in Boulder. Like, ru- rush the streets of, of Boulder. Boulder's a sick a sick town. I really want to get there for for a football game. Yeah, go burn a couch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go like, go do like, what normal people do. Yeah, but like, yeah, rushing the, rushing like, the field. It's just I don't know. If you beat anyone else, I, I like but, Colorado, and I've never been to Boulder, but I really want to go. Like, it, it just doesn't seem like you're uh, in tune football fans. That it's like you don't rush the field when you're ranked and you're the favorite. Yeah. You don't rush the field. That's not why you rush the field. I don't. Yeah. And I say this to somebody who's rushed the field multiple times, including at Martin Stadium when the Huskies beat the Cougars. Rush the field on opposing, which is probably even more uncouth than rushing <laughs> yeah. your own field when you're a favorite. Yeah. So let me tell that you. That was what, at least an Apple Cup, though. So it's and, a little, it's a, it's a rivalry game. And to be fair, I was drinking Murray juice, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shout but, out Murray. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> Bad decisions were made. But <laughs> that usually happens with Murray Juice, honestly. But I'm not I shouldn't be one to gatekeep happiness. So <laughs> And yet I make it my full time job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here I am on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. Just uh fighting for my fucking life. But <laughs> Anyway, speaking of fighting for your life, Tulane had a hell of a game, or Tulane, uh, Tulsa had a hell of a game against the Huskies uh, this past Saturday. Again, we were uh, fortunate to not go because we were, you know, in the presence of love. Uh, so, <laughs> love and friendship was a plenty. But and, and just like uh, just like I had the under on. Uh, on our buddy Tanner or slash Ray uh, during his uh, ceremony as the officiant, uh, the Huskies 
uh, did not cover the spread in that game. Mm-hmm. So you did uh, call that. So I called that one, which I by, will... by a whisker. Yeah, by a whisker. Like was, but was it thirty three and a half? And the Huskies won forty three to ten. <laughs> so thirty three. I believe that's what it was. So I'll take the, I'll take the uh, the dub on that one. Beautiful day on Montlake. Uh, rewatching the game. Offense came out. We were listening on the radio at least, and got to watch a little bit of it. Yeah. Uh, when it was happening, but came out. Offense was firing. But again, I'll say for first concern of the game. Couldn't really run the ball with the running backs. Yeah, yeah. The run, run game was definitely looking a bit concerning. Uh, I mean, I think. Uh, I guess I don't have the stats in front of me. Will Nixon. Will Nixon actually turned in a pretty good game running the ball when it was all said and done. But I got to imagine that uh, between Jalen Polk's twenty-yard touchdown run, uh, Roma Dunze also had a twenty-something yard touchdown run, and then. It won't show up as a run in the stat book, but McMillan, I think, had a couple, like, swing pass, including, like, the first play of the game. They lined him up as a running back and just threw him basically, like, a swing pass screen yeah. that he took for 35 yards. It was like, our best running game was our receivers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> basically, yeah. either running the ball, directly running the ball, or getting a pass that basically functions as a run play. So... Still a concern. Yeah. Yeah, I've got Nixon here for six carries, 30 yards, five-yard average. Uh, and then pretty much all receivers after that. Uh, so, yeah, a little – definitely a bit of a concern there with the uh, with the running back room. And, I mean, he had – Nixon had a couple of ex- explosive runs in there, it seemed like. Not full-on explosive 20-plus yarders, but, like, some, some nice little runs in there. But not a whole lot of, like, kind of up-the-middle run game going on. No, the interior run blocking is still just looking suspect. Yeah. And I – yeah, there's just not a lot of holes going on right now for that with that offensive line. Luckily, their passing uh, – pass blocking and pass offense in general is looking pretty good. Yeah, and it seems like they're going to have to figure something out with the interior run game. But as of now, it's like they can kind of just, like I just alluded to before, they can kind of just manufacture a run game by getting receivers outside of the tackles, whether that's a swing pass, a screen, which they don't run a ton of like true wide receiver screens. But you saw it, like I said, first play of the game, they had Jeremy Bernard and Jalen McMillan lined up in the backfield. They even gave Jeremy Bernard a few carries out yeah. of the backfield, which I wouldn't be surprised if we see that a lot more moving forward because, again, not to, not to jump around too much, but Jeremy Bernard, like another huge game from him. Yeah. The guy looks like an absolute weapon. So if the run game continues to struggle, I would not be shocked if they try to – construct new ways to just get him the ball anywhere behind the line of scrimmage at the line of scrimmage couple yards downfield like yeah if he can't run the ball up the tap like between the tackles that's a problem but you create so much space out wide and you have the athletes and they know how to run with the ball in their hands that like you have solutions yeah in the in the first half, that uh, that run with Jalen Polk that they did, which was 
really, really unique, cool kind of play that I haven't seen too often where they kind of ran a counter with with him as the the motion guy coming across and getting the ball and then you had you had linemen pulling and getting out front on with some counter action really really effective <laughs> was what it was with 27 yard touchdown or whatever it was so yeah they're they're finding ways to to make a run game happen which is which is positive but i still think once we get into into conference play you're going to need you're going to need someone that can run the ball between the tackles. And... Yeah, you're going to you're going to have to find a way to convert third and one. Yeah. Without exactly. having to just throw the ball yeah downfield cuz those screen passes will the field will shrink when it's third and one. Like those screen yeah. passes or swing routes, they won't stay effective the entire if teams know that you struggle to run between the tackles and they know that that's what you want to do on a short yardage play. Yeah. Like yeah, they'll find a they'll team find that, ways. like Boise was able to neutralize it pretty quickly and like better teams in the pac 12 are going to be able to neutralize that so you're going to have to find a way to to get dirty and get some get some yards in the run game between the tackles now the real the the best counter to all of that is to just have an explosive downfield passing attack that moves you (laughs) right into scoring position constantly throughout the game and the Huskies have proven that they can do that and that is helpful usually all three of their main wide receivers looked amazing in that game outside of the fact that we'll say it's probably the real low light of the game is uh Roma Dunze dropped a couple balls but you know I'm not gonna fault him too much like uh maybe maybe you're taking Tulsa for granted a little bit and you're just getting a little greedy thinking like oh if I can Adunze's kind of looked this way the entire year is that every time, and you said this on the last podcast, every time he gets the ball, he looks like a guy who's ready to break two or three tackles and make a play. Both of his drops kind of came on, you know, short, shorter comebacks that I'm sure he's thinking if I could turn my head around and get a chance to see the defender, I'm going to break a tackle and I'm going to spring this. Yeah. He ends up dropping it. The real, the real frustrating one was McMillan dropped right before the uh, end of the first half. McMillan drops a streak down the left sideline that's a walk-in touchdown. A couple plays later, he gets a crossing route, catches it, runs up the field, fumbles it, which A is like, what are you doing fumbling it? Like yeah. it just it wasn't even like it was a big hit or anything. He just kinda not holding the ball that tight and the guy comes from behind to tackle him. And then yeah. the defender picks it up and I, I get it, McMillan's not a defensive player, but McMillan gets up and the guy kinda Cuts like kind of is in a little bit of a scrum with some people. Cuts it back, and McMillan basically just gives up. Yeah. And then the guy ends up running it down the sideline, and ultimately Penix is able to shepherd him out of bounds. But bad play by the return man. Instead of when it happened, is all he has to do is cut back right at Penix. Penix doesn't want to tackle him. Yeah. And he, he could probably take that for a touchdown. Yeah, he should have had a touchdown on that. Yeah. Cut back. It is, and then then McMillan would really be in the doghouse because you let it go. It's like. You fumble a ball, you need to get up and like go get that. Go get a tackle. It's like yeah. that's not. But I'm sure Jamarcus Shepard reamed, yeah. reamed well, his asshole on that I was one. Say, I'm I'm guessing that that did happen because they went out in the second half and went straight back to him at, right at or their first drive, and I think he probably got about 60 yards on that on that next drive within the. Two, I think they targeted him two or three times on that next drive. So I, I'm guessing he. For one, he realized his uh, faults, 
And for two, if he didn't in that moment at halftime, I'm sure they did in the film room. But yeah, not that wasn't their prettiest play, but yeah, but that's why you get it out against Tulsa. Is that like I don't think these are the yeah, types of mistakes that McMillan's going to make again, and like you'd rather you'd rather it happen in this game than next week against Michigan yeah. State. You also had Penix throw a pick in the end zone, which like that when he kind of he kind of airmailed it a little bit on Rome. I do think that there was a little bit of a pi on that play. The guy yeah, he got his face mask, kind of grabbed his face it. mask and and got him off his route and. So, that, but regardless, still gotta gotta go out there and play. Gotta be a little rest. cleaner than that. Yeah, exactly. I said so. ov- overall, it's like the Huskies were mostly good, but they just had some sloppy plays. Honestly, special teams was the worst of it. Is that Jeremy Bernard had on the second kick return because uh, Tulsa, you know, our first drive would go down and score a touchdown. They come back. Their script works a little bit. They get a field goal. And then Jeremy Bernard, again, has a big kick return, but they call the illegal blindside block on Void Tunaufi, which I watched, that, I watched that again. <laughs> I, I watched that, I've watched that twice now since then, um, both watching the full replay and then the game in 60. I guess by letter of the law, but, like, the that's guy a, is clearly, what, tur- yeah. like, his head is turned around, and he yeah. is, like, running, and Tunaufi, like... That's a football play. Like, that's not a... That's not an illegal play. Like the guy, that's one of those like, if you hit him at the he- in the head, I'd say yeah, okay, that's a that's a dirty play. Be like he had his he had his shoulder and head across and hits him in the chest. Like that's a. It's just another one of those though that I feel like if if you really want to nitpick, especially because they called it on him, that it's like Jeremy Bernard is kind of already past that guy. You basically just need to put a moving screen on him. Yeah. Like, run in front of him and just, like, put your arms in front of him and block it. Like, you don't even have to, like, physically block him. Like, literally just run in front of him so he can't yeah. get there. It's like, you don't need to light him up. Which, you're right, that he, like, square, like square through, through the chest on yeah. it. So it's not like he went high on the block. But it's like, yeah, he probably could have just ran in front of him and the guy wouldn't make a play. Yeah. Um. So that, that was one of them. Brady Gross, our kicker, hadn't attempted a field goal all year. He gets his first attempt from 33 yards. Not good. Doink. <laughs> he, he doinked it. He doinked it. So he's 0 for 1 on the season. And I think that's something that I think is a real concern. It was a concern going into the year because the Huskies have had some pretty good kickers throughout their time. Yeah, at least and, consistent within 40 yards. Yeah. That's, that's, I feel like, in college – like if you can have a guy that's consistent in forty yards and is gonna hit, and Gross still has time to be that guy. It's first of the year, maybe getting the, getting the nerves out, whatever. Like it's a good time to miss one when you're up by thirty. <laughs> so, but, yeah, exactly. But but like you gotta, you're gonna be tested later in the year, yeah. and so you got. Doesn't help though. You came in as a question mark, and you got your first kick attempt in the <laughs> became late, a question mark. Late third, early fourth quarter. I, I don't remember. I think it was late third, but. Second half of the second game, you get your first field goal attempt and you doink one. So that's a problem. Not ideal. They got a they got a personal got a, foul yeah. roughing the punter on one where they got where the defense got a nice stop and Mikel Easton runs into the punter. So it's stuff like that. Not yeah. not the best day for for special teams. Again, Tulsa's the type of team that you can make mistakes against because you're yeah. you're always going to win that game. But 
Yeah, but you got to clean it up, and you got a big game coming up this weekend. Hey, you're not going to be able to get away with those, even though Michigan State, I think, is a shell of the team that they once were. Yeah, but it's still it's still a power five opponent, and if you if you make those mistakes and keep people in games, that's a team that can probably, you know, probably make something happen. Yeah, with that. They'll, they'll make you pay for those misses, but overall, the Huskies got a dub. At the end of the day, you just didn't want them to overlook their opponent and come out yeah. flat, and they definitely didn't come out flat. No. Um, defense looked really good, I think, overall. I mean, they did have, like, their third-string quarterback in. Um, but that Tulsa team is talented. I still think that yeah. they're going to win a lot of games this year. Their defense is actually pretty good, especially yeah, up of, front. They've got a couple, of, a couple of Oklahoma State transfers. Yeah, and, that D-lineman yeah. for them was – they were calling him out early that he'd be a guy to watch on Tulsa's defense, and he did not disappoint early in that game. Had some big tackles that stopped a lot of those running plays that we're talking about. Yeah. So I think they're a talented team, and uh, I was looking at their schedule earlier that – they have they still have a few tough games. They play Oklahoma next week, so, yeah, so that's a good. So they moment. got they got a couple tests there. I mean, I remember last year the Huskies boat raced Kent State, and then Kent State played Oklahoma the next week. Yeah, remember, and that was like a, yeah, was a nineteen to yeah. ten game or something like that. Yeah. Like for Cagey. most of the game, and I think Oklahoma <laughs> yeah. scored another touchdown and kind of put it away later. But it was yeah. they definitely covered the first half spread. Yeah, you know so. We'll see what Tulsa can do. They got a couple other tough games. They play Tulane and SMU. Yeah. But I still think that they're going to be a, a seven-win team. So, you yeah. know, you, not, you can't take your sure. opponent lightly. And the Huskies definitely came out with a sense of urgency. And then they were able to kind of coast. A lot of backups got to play later yeah. in the game, which I is I think good. is the most important part. You got, yeah. got some reps for, for the young guys in the second half. And... Asa, I was gonna, Asa, I would say, Asa Turner got hurt, though. I was going to say, you, I, I wish I could say you came out healthy, but yeah. Asa got hurt and Eddie Olafosio got hurt. Oh, did he? Yeah. I I don't I haven't heard, I haven't seen it. I saw I him in late in that was game. He, okay, that's good. Because I, I thought they said... He, he was playing in the fourth quarter in that game. Okay, that's good. Because when we were listening to it on the radio after we watched the first half, they were saying that Eddie O went down and was holding his shoulder, which obviously has been... A, I what has caused him to I, be out? I don't think that. Of, I think that was Devon Banks because uh, he also wears a shoulder gotcha. harness. So maybe that's. So I, I think you're confusing that, is, that it was Devon Banks. Yeah, Castro Cone definitely said it was uh, Eddie O when we were yeah. listening to it. On one's the number video, six, yeah. one's number five. Maybe you yeah. see it and you, you get makes that makes see more the number because I do, do remember seeing that Devon Devon Banks got hurt, but I did see that they said that he's on the depth chart for this week. That's in good. his normal spot, so hopefully that means he's playing. But yeah, you're gonna need you're gonna need those guys. Yeah, because um, as you said, we got Michigan State coming up. Might might as well transition right into that game. Yeah, uh, first road game of the season for the Huskies. They're actually, I think, when I looked earlier, they're sixteen and a half point favorites in that game. I, I think that's correct. Yeah, which honestly is not that shocking because I mean the Huskies kind of. They, they let Michigan State get back in the game last year, but they kind of boat raced them early in that game. And then Michigan State has had a lot of players transfer out since then, including Jeremy Bernard, <laughs> who's on the Huskies, who we love. Yep. Uh, so they, they're not nearly as talented of a team as they were last year, and they weren't talented last year. They only <laughs> win like four games. Yeah. And then uh, Mel Tucker, their coach. Yeah, some – 
some spicy some spicy info coming out this week on Mel Tucker. Yeah, is he? I feel like I've actually seen conflicting reports. Is he fired? Fired? Or is he? Uh, I on? believe he is on administrative leave right now. Because yeah, I thought I saw that, but then I thought I saw that I, Brett I, McMurphy said that he was officially fired. But then I haven't really seen anything that is the said. first report that I saw, which was on Sunday, and I think it broke, was that they had fired him. And then since then, I've seen that he's on on unpaid leave. I think right now. Gotcha. So, um, why, why don't you go ahead and break down? <laughs> yeah. Start start by breaking down because uh, I don't know if all of our listeners follow. Uh, follow college sports well enough to know is that Mel Tucker, he used to be the coach at Colorado for a hot minute. Yeah. And then he went and uh, had a couple good years at Colorado. Uh, he had, oh, yeah, yeah. A couple, yeah. couple good years at Colorado and then basically jumped ship as soon as he had things rolling at Colorado to go to Michigan State. And did he have a background in Michigan State? I think he was there that? under D'Antonio. Okay. So he, yeah, so he came from there originally, had one good season there. Yeah, his first year was with Ken Walker at yeah. yeah, his, his first, first year was, was with Ken Walker. when he had Ken Walker there, and, and they, they won like bef- 10 games. And I think before the end of the season, they gave him a a massive extension. Like, it was like 10-year, like 100 million? Yeah, I think it was 10-year, 100 million dollar extension. So, um, And then since then, he's kind of been crap. <laughs> so, last year, they won four games. This year, I mean, who knows what, you know, time will tell. But to break down the... Uh, the story that broke here, um, I can't. I'm forgetting the uh, the woman's name. Brenda Tracy. Brenda Tracy. So, um, Brenda Tracy is a uh, traveling sexual assault awareness uh, speaker who who works with a lot of football teams and and just athletic departments and teams around the country talking about sexual assault awareness. She's a, she's a um, rape survivor herself. So obviously been through some traumatic experiences and kind of goes through, I think what that means and what's, you know, what sexual assault is and, and go, you know, kind of goes through um, all those things with teams and hit. So has been invited or had been invited, I believe in 2021 to come speak to, um, to Michigan state and, did so this is kind of on the heels too if i remember and like because this is like with larry nasser yes yes so yeah this is on the heels of of larry nasser which larry nasser was the gymnastics uh doctor head doctor for michigan state who was he was the doctor for michigan state's gymnastics program and i think their athletic department but was the head doctor for u.s gymnastics who had a long-standing uh Long-standing sexual assault with many gymnasts and and I think other athletes at Michigan State and multiple counts of this and not a good guy. Yeah, not a good. Yeah, horrible guy. And uh, this is all coming at kind of at the heels of that. And so not only Michigan State, I, I know I think Michigan did the same thing. I saw pictures of her with Jim Harbaugh too. Like good thing bringing in people to speak about these things because it's. Uh, prominent topics in in uh, especially around sports programs and athletes and alpha dudes that uh, probably are the ones that need to hear this stuff and so apparently i guess what the the claims are is that uh, mel tucker has sexually harassed and assaulted this this uh, speaker Um, he's claiming that their encounter was 
was uh, consensual. And, I mean, some of the details of it, though, are just kind of wild. And, I mean, for one, to start, like, of all the people that that you want to really make sure there's clear consent, uh, Mel Tucker, if I want to give you some advice, you should always do that. That's a, uh, But of all the people that you really want to probably make sure that there's consent, if you're going to have some kind of sexual situation, it's probably the uh, person who speaks on these things. And is very well aware of that. Yeah, you would think that would go without saying. <laughs> yeah. is that like so, nobody, nobody should be pressured or have un, undue sexual pressure on them. But if there's anybody, you probably want to like really tiptoe and like make sure all of your uh, T's are crossed and I's are dotted. It's like it's probably the rape survivor that gets paid to go around and be an advocate and speak to these people. Like that's probably not the person that you want to be taking. Uh, Taking some liberties on Taking and, some... and, and ha- leaving question marks, I guess, for uh, for whether there is clear consent in the situation. So, I mean, long story short, it sounds like they. I think what the main thing that this is the the altercation that is being discussed is that there was a phone call between them that Mel Tucker was masturbating on the phone call and and she goes into some more graphic details about about that situation his claim is that uh which the more i'm reading it the more i'm kind of uh less less uh convinced that there's consent here is that um he's like well she she wanted gifts and stuff from me and she could have hung up the phone if she didn't want want me doing this and uh i just don't know if that's how it works (laughs) Yeah, I do, I do so, remember this. And I feel like there was one yeah. who was like, well, I totally donated like this yeah. amount of money to yeah, like, I donate, her charity. Yeah, I so. donated to her foundation and bought her, bought her expensive athletic shoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is, like, is I believe what he, what he said. And so, and she like wanted these gifts from me. And, and maybe they're, you know, I don't let the, let the process play out. But he, I think he's claiming that there are, texts that uh that show that this was consensual um or that prove that it was consensual and that she was also interested in the situation that there was uh, a back and forth between the two of them yeah he's, they had he an said intimate was, relationship he said that she was sending him nudie pics yes which <laughs> yeah uh, again pics said the two of them and and inferring like or talking about what she would look like naked and those types of things so i I mean that's that's not for uh, me to decide. I guess that's for the whatever process they have at Michigan State, and or if she decides to go and uh, take that to to the court systems and sue him or, or try to file uh, um, some kind of legal recourse against him. But bottom line is it's a it's a bad situation and. Uh, and it's right, and it all breaks right before the Huskies are playing Michigan State. So yeah, a couple things is that again, I the majority of the story or majority of what I know about it was from uh, Mel Tucker's like press release. Yeah, I was gonna say that's it. most of what I had read as well was his his side of the of the press release, which where he does say he does say not like you know this is a pretty like quick reactionary take on it because I don't know all the details. But where he does say something like, I, I think it's upcoming. I assume he doesn't mean last year because I don't think this would be coming out now. But he said like there's some sort of like 
hearing, I think, for the university that's coming up, like, early October, like, October 5th and 6th, where he's, like, not allowed to present any information or anything on it. So I think that's partially (laughs) why he's upset. Uh, We saw Oppenheimer recently, and it kind of (laughs) feels like... At least the way he presents it in his press release, it feels a little bit like that. That it's like, we're going to have this hearing where you can be there, but you can't actually say anything or present any information or do anything to present your case. You don't get an opening statement and you don't get a closing statement. Yeah. Like, and I, I also and you don't get to call any witnesses. Yeah. But you definitely have a trial where you have a chance to defend yourself. It's like, well, that's... I'm not a lawyer, but it's like, yeah. that's not really how that works. Yeah. I, I also heard him say that he believes that it's a it's a ploy by the university, basically, to get him out of the contract. Oh, I to, believe that. To be able to terminate <laughs> him with cause. Uh, and that it's that it's uh, them being, uh, I, I don't know, I don't want to misquote this, but like... Uh, so I'm paraphrasing for for those of you at home that, that now we don't uh, know this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't know this, but uh, that it's because of the Larry Nasser case, and they're kind of like being overreactionary to to evidence that isn't there, kind of kind of situation, and that they're like trying to protect the university because of yeah. That. Well, they have a history of not believing victims, so they <laughs> yeah. probably gotta yeah. correct the opposite way here. That <laughs> yeah, if somebody a- if somebody says something happened, be like, yeah, we kind of have to believe them because we did that for a long, we did that for like a decade before. <laughs> yeah, and, and then, it didn't uh, end up well for yeah, us. Yeah, we we caught a lot of flack for that one. So yeah, uh, I do think that there is some merit there, and I don't want to sound like I'm a Mel Tucker supporter in that regard because I just don't know the facts of it, but. That does seem like that could be a plausible thing that it's like you gave the guy a 10 year, $100 million contract roughly after one good season. And then they were horrible. Basically his first year that you didn't have a transfer stud and Ken Walker and your team looked horrible. Then all of your players transferred out. And now you look like you're going to be really horrible this year. It's like, Hmm, maybe we shouldn't have gave that contract. And yeah, that's so- on- something like this comes along. And it's like, Yep, we are totally on the side of the victim. Yeah. And, like, if it was Nick Saban, like, I'm sure they'd be like, well, we got to wait till all the facts come out. Like, we yeah. got to we gotta figure this out a little bit. But I'm sure they're pretty quick to be like, yeah, this doesn't look good for you, Mel. I'm sorry, but, like, we got we to gotta, we gotta let you yeah. go here. I do the, think, though, I, is that it, it seems similar in my mind. And, again, I'm not saying that any of these people – are right or wrong because I still just don't know the facts. Is it like you remember Ime Aduka, Adoku? Sorry, the the coach was for the Celtics. Oh yeah. Who then yeah. had a had a inappropriate sexual relationship with a somebody on the staff there, and they like fired him, and then within like a week or two, like a he was like that was a total consensual relationship. Maybe yeah. there was some inappropriate aspects because I am. Sleeping with a higher up employee yeah. who's still below my status, so like there's yeah. some weird, some weird dynamics there. But then Brooklyn was going to hire him right after, and now he's in Houston, I believe, with the Rockets, and like that kind of just went away. Like, yeah. which I mean, I guess the Celtics, air quotes, did the right things. They're just like, we don't want no, we don't want any part of it. Yeah. Like, just... Just get it out of here. But every other team didn't seem to really have... I mean, Brooklyn, I think, got some backlash, and maybe that's why they, like, terminated that before it even... Yeah, before had, it started. But, you know, I, like I said, I believe he's the head coach for 
the Houston Rockets now. And like that whole thing kind of just went by the wayside. There's like, I don't, did he set, was it consensual? Did he sexually assault? Or is it just kind of like one of those weird inner relate, like inner organization relationships that had some weird, probably inappropriate, but I don't know. And then, (laughs) yeah, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not really sure on that one. I, they also, or part of his statement also, though, was that, uh, she was supposed to come speak to the team again, I think, in, like, December or something yeah. like that. And then he decided to postpone that and, I think, do it closer to the season. And he said that his plans were to continue to do that. And that is at the time that she decided to file the the claim against him with the, with the university. So, yeah, it was a retaliation. Exactly, like a retaliatory thing. Like, maybe they're... There's a breakup there or something. Or, it, yeah, I, I mean, again, I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, maybe they had a discussion about the, the situation there and he's like, okay, well, then I'm canceling your thing and we're not paying you. So it, it could, you know, I think it it could go, could go either way. But at, at the end of the day, is it like, not to put college football head coaches like at the, like on a pedestal or anything, but at the end of the day, it's like you're you're kind of the figurehead, not kind of you are the figurehead of this program, and you are meant to like set an example for everybody else. And like this is kind of a damning indictment on your characters. Like, how can you go tell one of your players that's twenty years old they need to make smart decisions, they need to do this, they need to hold themselves in a certain way and be an accountable adult when it's like I said at the end of the day is like I don't mean to make a joke out of this you're you're a fucking adult he, he has a wife which I think he said that they're like estranged, they estranged or whatever so you know I don't I don't really put a whole lot of weight in that you know it's like whatever like if you don't talk to your wife anymore and you want to you want to have you want to have partners or whatever like go for it but it's like you, you're the head football coach you got to be smarter than that it's like I said don't be having a relationship. Just know that that's appropriate. Even if yeah. she comes on to you. Yeah. Like, don't have a relationship with this person that is a speaker and, like, has all of these, like, ties and engagements to not only your university very closely, but to multiple universities. Like, you need to find somebody else. Yeah. You need to find somebody else to be jerking off on the phone to. Right? They have phone numbers you can call for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like... <laughs> I don't I don't think the I don't think the rape survivor and like advocate like po- like powerful speaker is the one that you need to be jerking off on speakerphone to. Yeah. Like the, you, I, you could go a different way about that. And how are you gonna look your players in the eye and be like, Hey, you gotta be smarter than that, all right? You yeah. can't you can't let a guy get in your head and get a taunting penalty on third on yeah. third and fifteen. You yeah. just gave him a free first down. <laughs> like, all right, yeah. shut up, coach. Yeah, I can hear the lube in your pocket from here. The yeah, fuck exactly. out of here. I uh... dogs by a million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that all goes to say I think uh, with with that stuff going on, it can. Uh... It can solidify a team, I suppose. It can I also, say they, uh, they could they could bounce back and, and it really... can solidify a team, and it could also just put a team into complete shambles. Um, 
for the Huskies' sake, I hope it's the latter of those two <laughs> and that Michigan State spirals out of control and the Huskies win by a million, like you said. Yeah, I'd love uh, to see like a 50-14 to 14 victory. Yeah. Really establish the Huskies as that college football playoff because I do think, I mean, it's on Peacock and we had talked about that before. That's some real bullshit. Yeah, but. It, uh, here, yeah here's an idea for... Uh, for Husky fans, for every for every point that the uh, Huskies beat Michigan State by, we should all donate a dollar to uh, to this woman's uh, this woman's foundation for the horrible things that Mel Tucker's done to her. That's so, a great idea. So, that's a call to action. Yeah, that's, that's a, a call pledge. to that's a call to action. Maybe they'll get us some more listeners when hopefully the Huskies <laughs> win by a bunch and we donate a whopping. Uh, $60. Yeah, $36 <laughs> is all yours. Yeah. Yep. Like, wow, those bring your lunch pail people. They yeah. really show up. Yeah. So bring your lunch pail listeners really get out there and uh, make the pledge. Yeah. Make the pledge. Let's, let's donate. Let's donate our dollars and uh, make, turn this into a, a positive situation for everybody. Uh, nobody, nobody, Brenda Tracy, and nobody else should have to listen to Mel Tucker fucking moan and jerk off on a on a telephone. That is, that is, could not be uh, the closest thing to truth I've ever heard right there. In all seriousness, though, do you got a you got a score prediction for the Huskies? Yeah, I'll go. Uh, let's see. Let's go forty-two to twenty-one. How about that? Yeah, I think it's going to be a little cagey, so I think I'm going to go 38-23. I, I, I think that's what the score was last year, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. That sounds about that. right. Yeah. I'll go 38-23. 38-23, okay. So that means the dogs won't cover if it's at 16.5, at least by my score prediction. Well, I mean, that's, uh, I think that's plausible. It's, it's a road game. Never know what happens. I think the dogs will come out come out hot. It's kind of it's kind of like what I said week one against uh, Boise, where I think they if they come out hot, maybe they give up a few at the, near the end and and uh, don't cover. I think that that could be, you know, I could see Here, that. Kind here's of here's the real that. point that I forgot to touch on with that is that Huskies are playing on grass. Okay. And Huskies don't play on grass and that little, often. Yeah, Most a little of, slower. A little slower, yeah. I think might affect your route running a little bit. So yeah, I think especially in the spread, spread offense, throwing the ball downfield yeah. is that yeah, you, you typically aren't running and cutting as fast on grass as you are on the turf. So yeah, yeah guys are slipping, especially if it rains. I don't know what the weather forecast is like in East Lansing, but if there's if there's some factors like that, maybe the grounds crew will come out and just wet the field extra. <laughs> yeah, one, knowing that their only <laughs> chance is to have a muddy game, it'll be. Current weather is supposed to be 72 degrees and overcast, no rain. So, yeah, well, we, uh, I'm sure they'll wet the field so that it's just a mud bowl in there <laughs> just to try to. That's make what it, I would do if I yeah. were going against a team like the Huskies. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think, I think we've covered the Huskies. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Moving on. Moving on. We'll, uh, we'll try to keep this last segment short. We're going to do a little Mariners recap from. From the last couple of weeks, hasn't been a good couple of weeks, but there was one highlight. Is that uh, yeah? Uh, by the time you listen, this will be, you know, a little a little past. But removed. on uh, on Monday, uh, Julio hit his thirtieth home run of the season, joining the thirty thirty club, which I think is pretty pretty special moment in his young career. Yeah. But uh, 
the real real topic that Nigel and I have had is that uh, the kid caught caught the ball and he gave it to Julio and we were talking about what 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 that kid should ask in return to give the ball back to him and it came out today that I think he got a autographed game used baseball bat by Julio and he got an autographed baseball and so my question to you Nigel is that what would you have asked for? Hey, I already know that you don't think that that's enough, so we could just kind of skip over that and get right <laughs> yeah. to it. Is that what would you have asked yeah, can for? You feel my head shaking yeah. through the radio right now. Um, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's weak sauce from uh, the Mariners, and they're taking advantage of a kid, and that's uh, that's not cool. Also, before we get into this topic here, I just want to note that I think. I have a new like dream profession uh, from seeing that, and that's I want to be the guy that negotiates, uh, <laughs> negotiates like major paraphernalia for the Mariners or any organization. So if there's a ever like home run ball that like I want to be the guy that's the negotiator, boots on the ground, like I'm out there and out there in in uh, right center field, just talking to this kid, being like, "Well, here's what the Mariners are willing to give you for just this." Just trying to pawn star. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'm just, I'm just trying best to pawn. I could, best I could offer. Is yeah, one I'm bat. just trying to pawn star a 17 year old kid that showed up at the game on a Monday night on a school night. Should, he should be at home studying, and uh, so I'm just gonna pawn star this kid. Uh, but that being said, I. This was the first thing I said last night when when this happened is that the first thing that I would do is I would tell these uh, tell this jabroni I am going to give Julio the ball so there's no worries there here's my here's my information you like here's my cell phone call me whatever like I I want Julio to have this ball. It's give give my number to Julio. He can, he <laughs> yeah. can text me directly. Yeah, exactly. It is his to have if he wants it, and I'm fine with that. That being said, I need you to uh, talk to your people tonight, and I want to hear your best deal tomorrow morning for this ball. And I, because I feel like the second you take that ball off the premises, it just doubled in value for one, because they want that sucker back. They don't want it to leave. Yeah, see, I don't know if they'd even let you leave with that. Mug. Yeah. I, yeah, and that's where I would say, well, are you going to arrest me? <laughs> like, I'm taking that ball home. Like, that, and if they're really, like, adamant about it, I, I suppose I could see a situation where it's like, okay, well, show me where my ball is being being uh, uh, kept safe on the night. But, like, I, I'm taking that ball home with me night one, and I'm, I want to hear their best deal, number one. Because, like, 30-30 ball, like, Right now, that doesn't seem like a lot, but think about if Julio becomes a Hall of Famer. Like, you get his once he becomes a Hall of Famer. If you have held on to that ball, like that's a fifty, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. Like depends on the buyer, like what it is. But it's like this is Julio's second year in baseball, and he and this is his thirtieth home run on his thirty thirty year on his way to becoming a Hall of Famer. Like somebody's gonna want that for paraphernalia or for you know for i think it's called memorabilia yeah yeah not paraphernalia. <laughs> sorry, yeah memorabilia yeah. not paraphernalia is there cocaine on this ball <laughs> the, the way he smoked it i don't know what's on there uh but I'm fentanyl <laughs> yeah this is seattle it's fentanyl uh but so i think there's a better deal to be had than autograph bat autograph jersey now 
I don't think Julio should have to pay for any of this or do any of that. Like he's got the money. Yeah, of course he does. He has a half a billion dollars coming his way. But like, I want, I want like minimum. I think my my original ask would be somewhere in the vicinity of, like, I want tickets for the rest of this year and tickets to all of next season and that sign stuff. I think that's like my starting point. Maybe more because like we, we were talking about this last night a little bit, but like. Tom Brady with his his last touchdown ball, that thing he gave him a Bitcoin or something like that when Bitcoin was worth like fifty k or more. He gave him he golfed with him right with him and his buddies. He had a foursome, and then I think he gave him a bunch of other signed memorabilia stuff too. So like hundred something thousand. That's probably a million dollars plus if you wait and hold on to it. So like. I think there's different significance yeah, between, between yeah, but between between that stuff and there's obviously different like there's Tom Brady's final touchdown ball or whatever that was like much more significant. There's that I'm not saying that the value is the same here, but like I think at minimum like I want season tickets for the rest of the year in this playoff run, and I want tickets next year is a fair enough ask plus the signed memorabilia that you that you are saying there like I. See, and, and I think that's like my minimum. I might, and again, if I had it in my hand, I might be asking for more because I think that minimum you could get that because the Mariners, the Mariners want to appease this guy. What's a, what's a you know, two tickets you know for a crappy hundred level seat or something you know like that that cost them a couple grand. They just paid this guy five hundred million dollars, like a couple grand in in ticket sales that they're losing doesn't mean anything to them. Yeah, I think that's all good and well, but uh, I think, uh, and I had floated this out to you before, is that if if I get that ball, like you're right, he's getting the ball back. I, I think uh, signed bat is good, signed ball. I think honestly, I'd rather have a signed jersey, you know, some, something you could put in the in the frame in yeah. the case and hang on. Which I you, want all of it. Yeah, yeah I want. <laughs> yeah, I want, I want all jersey, of it. bat, ball, but glove. Much like, in the. I want every. I want a shoe like. <laughs> Much I want the, a I want a dirt stained pant like I I want everything. Much in the vein of the uh, golf trip though, like I said before, is what what I want is I want I want Julio to get like a suite at a Seahawks game. I'm, I had I had the Thanksgiving game against the Niners on. Is that I want a suite? You know, just me and Julio. He could bring uh, his girlfriend Jordan uh, Haitama. I don't know how to say her last name, but sure. you know. Me, Julio, and Jordan hanging out in a Seahawks suite, eating some turkey, drinking some Vito, <laughs> watching the Seahawks play on Thanksgiving. You know, maybe things get a little loose. We take our shirts off. Like, never know. That's see, like that's yeah. all I need. Is that asking too much? I, I don't think that's asking too much, honestly. Just like, a nice romantic night with the three of us <laughs> yeah. on, on Thanksgiving. Trip to fan kicks yeah. in. Maybe if the Seahawks are shit in the bed in the second half, we take a little nap, a little group nap in the second half. Group nap. Group nap. Group nap. Yeah, I that's think, all I want. I think I think all that's fair. You know, maybe maybe a romantic candlelit dinner with him at Canlis or something. I don't that's know. cool too. Yeah, you just you know, just get to know each other. Yeah, exactly. It's just something you know, intimate. Maybe we start texting. We're going out. Then we're golfing organically because it's like we like to golf together. Who knows? Yeah. You know, he's hitting 300-yard bombs. I'm hitting 155 irons right down the middle. Yeah, exactly. Get, get into the green when I can. 
He's just like, hey, you want to come play wiffle ball this weekend with me and the boys? Like, come like, on out. Yeah. Hell yeah, Jay. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't take long. You, yeah. you get like that pretty just quick. Getting a, just getting a quick wiffle ball game in. That's right. And then, you know, I'm there at his Hall of, Hall of Fame induction. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how it goes. Because I'm out here playing the, playing the long game. Yeah. Exactly. Here. yeah. And, the, I mean, that's a smart play is to give up that 30-30 ball. But yeah, memorabilia is cheap. Best friends with Memories that. are a lifetime, okay? <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that's what I'm out here for. Yeah. And that's... Uh, I think that's I think that's all you know all a good idea. I don't know if Julio golfs or not. I'm sure he does. But I'm yeah. I would guess he's a. I would imagine if he, he does it yet, he's probably going to pick it up this offseason. <laughs> yeah, he's he's going to have uh, plenty of money to golf wherever he wants. But the the two memorabilia items not enough. You, we gotta we gotta get this kid some some season tickets or something like that's. Uh, I think that's season crazy. season tickets. I think for the next season is. Well yeah. within their means. Yeah, and that and that's what I'm saying. It's like how much can bleacher seats cost? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give him, give yeah, give him like seats in Julio's section for the season. Like, oh yeah, no fly zone. Yeah, yeah. give him the no fly season tickets. That's where he no caught it zone. too. He was in the no fly zone. So oh, it's like, nice. Like you get you get season tickets here for all of next season. Like back row, who cares? Like <laughs> whatever. Like they. Those tickets cost eight bucks a night, or whatever, whatever the heck it is to to get in there. So it's like give the kids season tickets at the very least, and he gets to come to all the playoff games. Like that's, I think that's a small price to pay for them. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the real talk, then enough enough joking around about candlelit yeah. dinners with Julio. Yeah, that ain't is a that, joke, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that uh, what has been a little bit concerning is that the Mariners have kind of been on a bit of a losing streak lately, including after Julio hit that 30th dinger in the <laughs> yeah. bottom of the 10th that they ended up still losing that game. Yeah, that's that was one of the more miraculous losses I've ever seen. Like, just one of those real old-school Mariner losses where you, you, had, you had the bases juiced with nobody out in the ninth inning, managed to not score any runs. It's a little unfortunate, too, because you had you – had, uh, Runner on when it was runners on first and second, ball up the middle and Caballero was on second and he had to, like, it was a line drive and shortstop very well could have made a play on it. It was like just out of his reach, so he had to go backwards, back towards the base first before it was missed. It's like any, any further any direction, you know, he he easily scores on that, but instead he has to hold up and like backpedal towards the base. And then you have the bases loaded with no outs, and you assume that that's a guaranteed win at that point. And um, in classic Mariners fashion, they did not, uh, did not go and get the dub. And then you go give up a two-run dinger in the uh, in the tenth inning, and then Julio ties it up, which was sick. And then you go and give up three runs in the eleventh inning and lose the game. So just a just a brutal one. That also reminded me, speaking of cool memorabilia, uh, the guy for the Angels that, that hit the home run in the 10th inning smoked it off the scoreboard and hit one of the zeros, and they showed a close-up of it. It was like ball mark in there. I think that's my new like hope is to somehow acquire like a, a scoreboard. The manual scoreboard. A manual scoreboard piece that's hit by a baseball. I feel, like, cool. that's a, I feel like that's a cool... Also, if you could somehow acquire the ball, too, with it, like the pair of it, the two, I feel like that'd be a really cool man cave item to have. 
especially if it's someone someone notable for the Mariners or whoever else or like judge hits one off <laughs> off of zero. I, I don't know how you one would acquire these things, but I feel like that's a piece of memorabilia that whether it's Safeco Field or any of the other fields like that have a manual scoreboard, I feel like that's a cool that's a cool thing to have in your man cave. Yeah, you probably gotta know a guy. Yeah, I'm I'm assuming that's what it is. So I have a new goal, and that's to to acquire such things. So, so if there's anyone out there with a hookup, yeah, if you know if you know any score manual scoreboard operators, holla at your boy. Um, yeah, but Mariners just been on a bit of a bad stint here. I'm ultimately, I, I guess, I'm not. Sky is falling. Concerned. I'm a little concerned because you gotta you gotta win some of these games, and you don't have the easiest schedule here down the stretch you've got the angels who you hopefully will win against tomorrow and take two or three then you've got the dodgers coming up on the weekend definitely not an easy easy team to go up against and really i think is the measuring stick for for yourself if you think you're going to be a playoff contender and world series contender that that's going to be a really big series that if you can somehow manage to take two or three that's probably going to be very helpful for you down the stretch here. Um, so I feel like that's a really crucial series. And then what you've got, a couple games against Texas and a couple games against the A's? You got you got Oakland after L.A. Okay. Oakland, then... And then Texas, then, then Houston, then Texas again. Texas, Houston, Texas. So like those last three series there, like you pretty much have to just go cream the A's. And then those last three series are going to are going to really determine the entire season. Basically, yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's the that's the real point. Is that Texas? You're right there with Texas for that last wild card. Are you away home home on those series or home home home? Um, I'll have to check that again real quick. But at the end of the day, yes, you're at Oakland at Texas. And then home, 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 home against Stroh's, home against Texas. But basically, you're right there in the hunt with Texas. Like, you're going to have a real chance to prove if you're a playoff team or not because you either beat Texas more than you lose to them or you don't and your season's over. Yeah. So it would have been nice if they didn't hit this cold stretch here. But at the end of the day, like, you control your own destiny. You go, you should beat the A's. You need to... You need to finish out this series against the Angels, or yeah, against the Angels. You know, maybe you can win two or three against the Dodgers, and then go beat the A's. And then it's just yeah. you got Texas and Texas and Houston, and like control your own destiny. Go win those games you're in. If not, you're done. At the end of the day, they've been on a on a cold streak here, but it's not like they're getting blown out or anything. It's no. just they've kind of just trended opposite, where it's like. You were finding ways to win games in August, and now you've just been finding ways to lose games in September. Yeah. So you just got to flip the script. Like it's yeah. not like you've been uncompetitive because they're still a good baseball team. But yeah, you've been you, in all these games. It's you just gotta, you got to find ways to close the door. Yeah, and this is the time of year when it's like everything is tightening up a little bit. And, and Julio's still hot. Yeah. So like you got you got a chance. Like yeah, you've got your superstar. You finally have got your saving grace that's going to really bring you to the promised land. And I'm talking about Jared Kelnick. He's back. That's the real point I'm going to bring up. We noticed that as soon as Kelnick got activated in Tacoma, 
Mariners have been bad again. <laughs> it's it's just his his presence in the PNW is just. They could says. just they could just feel him coming back. They, <laughs> they know can, that he's. They returning. know that he's on his way. Bad no. vibes. Bad vibes. <laughs> bad vibes are on the horizon. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I refuse to believe that um, that that's the the reasoning behind it. He he hit really well in Tacoma. He came and got a hit last night. I don't think he played tonight. And play tonight. Yeah, so it was one for five last night. Yeah, one, one for five. Hit a couple balls hard. Really, he had a chance to win the game in the ninth with the bases loaded. Oh, truth comes out. Yeah, exactly. And uh, did, and was the the first out in that inning. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting coming down the stretch here. I mean, I think ultimately Kelnick is a Kelnick's a good guy to have back if for nothing else his defensive abilities. He, he I think. For any hatred you want to give him, he also like saved two runs in the in late in that game where he he just threw a missile on a ball that should have been a tag up, and and the guy turned around and came back, and also kind of a bad base running move by by one of the or by the dude, but someone kind of hesitated on one and he again missled it in there and they didn't want to test his arm so i think he's a he's a plus defensive defensive yeah. guy out there so at the very least he's going to be he's going to be in games and it, it i think it just also gives you it gives you options cuz between swaggerty canzone him Teoscar, it's like you got two righties two lefties so like you can alternate guys and whoever you feel like has the hot hand at the moment can start and whoever like matchup wise coming down the stretch, like I think you got you got guys that can go out there and do it, and so that's what you need at the end of the year here, is options, because like Canzone has been a good player too, and he should also be out there. <laughs> he's been yeah, I say he's hard been, to take him out of the lineup these yeah, days. Yeah, he's, he's been he's been really he's been really solid. He's been yeah he's he's at the very least been really consistent, and like been a good another good defensive player. So I think. Uh, and we know Swaggerty brings those same those same things too, like plus defender, menace on the base paths. If he gets on base, like he's trouble. And you got Demo too, like another guy that can play in free, infield or outfield in there and, and be a righty bat. So you've got options, which I like for the Mariners, that none of them are necessarily spectacular, but they're guys that can all be impact guys in their in their own right. So... So we'll see. They just gotta. They just gotta go down here and do it. And pitching's gotta, you know, continue to. I think that's been a little bit of it. Some a couple pitching letdowns, like in the, in relief. And Munoz last night, like Munoz loaded the bases in uh, in the ninth inning, and then went and struck out the side pretty much after that. I think it, maybe he got a ground out on the last one, but he he threw. That was that was the most promising thing. He threw all fastballs pretty much. Once he loaded the bases, he went. He was just piping 102 in there and throwing only fastballs, which I have not seen since he got hurt this year. It's like they pretty much were like, I think I think someone told him, like, all right, time to time to unleash because you've been holding it back all season long since that injury, and he was just he was just bringing heat. 30, I think he threw 28, 29 pitches, and they were most of them were 101 plus mile an hour fastballs. So, hopefully his arm holds up because that's what I want to see coming down the stretch in September and October is Munoz bringing that heat again, and because um, when he does, he's unhittable. 
Mariners, like I said, Mariners control their own destiny. They got a lot of big series coming up, but I'm still a Mariners believer, so I think they're going to find a way. They got they got to finish the series against the Angels, and I think they got a day off, and then they got the Dodgers, and they got the the A's. We'll probably have another recording by the time they're in that series with the A's, but I'm hoping that they can they can find something to get them rallying and get them back on track, like. You know, yeah. they've shown it. They've shown it for the better part of the second half of the season that they'll have some blips on the radar, but they find a way to kind of get that juice back and get things moving. And like I said before, at the end of the day, Julio is still on fire. And if he's if he's out there doing what he can do, like I think he's, you know, the boat that rides rises all tides. And as long as the pitching can kind of square itself away, like they're going to be in all these games just about going out and putting yeah. together nine innings of baseball. And I still feel, I still feel really confident that they're, yeah, they're not going to lose to the Rangers I yeah, think I with, with, the, with the season on the line. I think they're, this team's different. They're going to, they're going to cross that, yeah that mountain and they're going to be like, no, 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 we're not the, we're not the lovable losers that are outperforming expectations. Now is like, no, we expect to, you know, finish the season and finish strong and, we're gonna we're gonna be the team that puts the Rangers into obscurity. Yeah, I completely agree. I think uh, I think the Mariners are gonna make the playoffs still, and uh, they put it together. It's gonna you've got a lot of games at home down the stretch. There's gonna be four forty eight thousand or whatever whatever uh, T Mobile Park holds forty three forty four. Like every every one of those nights is gonna be sold out, and place is gonna be rocking. You got the pitching. You've got situational hitting, <laughs> I'll call it, and you've got a hot Julio. It'd be nice if one of those other guys can get hot because I feel like that was kind of August. Uh, well, Tail's still been pretty hot. Yeah, Tail's still, still been pretty hot too, but not as hot as he was in August. But if uh, if you can get one of those other guys to be to be red hot through September here and be kind of the the uh, Robin to uh, Julio's Batman, and I think I think you're gonna find your way into the into the playoffs. And I mean, Cal Raleigh's also been kind of doing it too, so he's he's had a hot bat. So it's they're out there. They they just gotta go. They just gotta go do it. It's just gotta come together all at the right time. Yeah. So, anyways, we'll be back next week. We got a big weekend of sports as we've laid out. Huskies got a big game. Mariners got a big series. Seahawks are looking to bounce back with a big game against the Lions, so I'm sure we'll have you know another two and a half hours to talk about next week, much like we did today. But uh, that's all we got for this episode. Signing off. See ya. See ya.